So we've been on this, we're wrapping up this, this series now uh, called Enemies at the Gates. And we've been talking about it now for three weeks. This will be our fourth week. And, and the topic is simple. It's the, the various ways the enemy comes into the church to cause division, to cause strife. And at the end, the devil, the enemy of our soul, what his goal is, it's this, is to remove the effectiveness of the church to remove the effectiveness or the witness of that church through various ways, right? And if we're not careful, uh, likewise, the enemy works the same way in our homes. He wants to divide parents from their children, from their from their perspectives or in their hearts. He wants to divide husbands and wives. He wants to bring issues against us. And what we see is the enemy doesn't use any new tricks. He's been doing the same stuff since the beginning. In week one, we talked about the Absalom spirit who operates in a, he's steeped in secret offenses and never brings reconciliation or truthfulness to the table. And he begins to undermine, or they begin to undermine authority figures in the end, trying to usurp authority. Secondly, we talked about a gossiping spirit, the, the idea of gossip being the bait of Satan, how he gets us to talk about one another. Don't worry, none of you had that issue that week. We had no altar call because you guys were all A-OK. -okay. Praise the Lord. But how many of you know it's easy to, to keep drama going because of people talking, because of gossip and idle conversations that you didn't even you were never there with seven years before you ever were even in the picture and you still yapping about it. I heard. Well, I read in the Bible. I shouldn't be doing that. Praise the Lord. And then last week we talked about a spirit of familiarity, a spirit of familiarity that seeks to familiarize you so deeply with people that you can't respect and honor leadership or who God says they are because of what you think you know about them. And in the end, it brings division and it brings offense in the house of God. And every week I've given you the four commitments. Hopefully you should be able to recite them by now. Number one, avoid the temptation to listen to sermons for somebody else. We don't want to think to ourselves, this is about so-and-so. It's about you. God's talking to say, God's talking to me. Avoid the temptation to think that these things aren't applicable to us. You might have some of these issues in infancy form, in seed form. And with left unaddressed, it'll grow into something bigger in your life. And everybody said, Amen. And then we ask that each of us as members of the house take notes. It's important to be a note taker in the house of God. Taking notes if you're new to church is writing down what jumps out at you. And you may could do that on your phone in the notes app or maybe you brought a pen or a pencil in the house of God. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And here's what it says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a fire, a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. 
and I will strike her children dead. You didn't think you came to church for this today. Praise the Lord. And all the church will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps, his, keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I want to talk to you today about a topic entitled, Overthrowing a Jezebel Spirit overthrowing a Jezebel spirit. Now, this spirit in particular is one that if you've been in church for a little while, it's really tossed around a lot at people when they really upset you. It's like the final insult you can say to them is, well, they wrestled with a Jezebel spirit anyways. And it's something that we throw around in Christian circles. And some people might not even know what that means, but most times that I've heard that said, it's not truly accurate. But I believe this, that a Jezebel spirit is one of the most sinister, manipulative, and controlling, and divisive, and destructive spirits that can get hold of a church. I've been, I'm three months shy of 16 years as a pastor, and I've encountered in my life 100% two, maybe three people who operated in a strong Jezebel spirit. And I want to say this, that none of them that I encountered with a Jezebel spirit were women. It was men. Because these spirits in, in and of themselves are not tied to a certain gender, but they're tied to a characteristic and a way in which people operate. Each time I recognize this spirit in them, their attempt to put me under their control, their attempt to manipulate or control me, I separated myself from them and would not allow them to speak in my life. I remember the first Jezebel person I encountered, uh, they were a very overweight person. And, uh, and I don't say that to be funny or humorous or insulting, but my father was himself a, a rather large man. And I said to this individual one day, you remind me of my dad. And, and I was talking about just their size. And this individual took it as though uh, it was their entryway to say, the Lord has put me to be a father in your life. And then he began to try to prophesy to me. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. It's because you're overweight. It just reminded me of my father because of that. And then they began to tell me how the Lord told them my first child was going to be a son and that they would die during birth. But he had prayed that they would not die. I was at their house when they tried pulling that number on me. And I got up from the, from the we were in the kitchen. I was like, I don't receive that at all. I said to my wife, and she's sitting there wide-eyed, like, is that going to happen? I'm like, that ain't going to happen, girl. We're leaving right now. I never talked to him again. When I recognized what they're trying, and they had been with the church for a while, but when I recognized it, I cut it off because I see what you're trying to do. Y'all all know I got three girls. False prophet. False prophet. Be careful of people who prophesy what they have canceled over your life. Be careful. I want to say this, that they were all men. They weren't women. 
Now, this is a very serious topic. If I don't have as any jokes for you today, praise the Lord. But this is serious stuff. And I want to convey it to you the way the Lord gave it to me. Amen. Now, in the verses that we read, the Apostle John is the writer, the Spirit of God being the author. But John is, is the, the one that the Bible calls the beloved of Jesus. He's one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He's like one of the top three. It was Peter, James, and John. And this is written uh, maybe some 50 to 60, maybe 70 years after Jesus has ascended back into heaven. So all of the things that Jesus has done and gone through, it's 70, anywhere from 50 to 70 years removed. And at this time, uh, John is actually the elder statesman of the church. All the other original 11 apostles, even the replacement, are dead. And, and John has lived the longest. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, who lived about 60 to 70 years after uh, this time where John was still alive, he records in his um, writings that they tried to kill John by burning him alive, but he survived. And so church history holds that to, to be one of the things that happened to the apostle John. But John, in the end, he got exiled to an island called Patmos. And there on this island, he receives what the book of Revelations calls another and further revelation of Jesus Christ. And within that revelation that he's receiving of Jesus Christ, Jesus gives seven letters, uh, affirmations and corrections to seven churches within Asia. And, and he begins to speak to them. And that's what we just read. We read one of those scriptures towards these churches. He's addressing these and he's encouraging them and he's also correcting them. He tells them what he loves. He tells them what he hates and what he holds against them. Are you with me so far? An important thing to understand from my theological spectrum is this, is that I don't think that Jesus was just talking to those seven churches there. I believe that there would be seven prophetic views of what the church, whether Western or, or any version of Christianity, might still wrestle with today. So those seven churches, he's talking to them in their immediacy, but there's lessons that we can learn about major doctrinal errors or major issues that the church had. And if we look at these uh, chapters of Revelations as Christians, we can look and see what are the same issues that are pervasive in the house of God across Christendom today. We can see them still there. And so Jesus opens up to Thyatira about this description of himself, and then he begins to speak to them. Now, Thyatira was a city that is now in the nation of Turkey, and it was a metropolis area, major, major city, and he's correcting and directing them. And after giving them the good things in verse 20, he says, but I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, in order to understand the scripture in its entirety, we kind of have to spend a few minutes on who is Jezebel and why is she important. Because the woman in the New Testament, her name is not literally Jezebel. What is happening is she is operating in the same way that the Old Testament Jezebel operated in. That's why today in church we can say, well, this person's operating in an Absalom spirit because that's what the Bible does. 
John came in the spirit of Elijah. He didn't literally have the spirit of Elijah because that would be Elijah reincarnated. He was operating in the forerunner spirit, declaring the word of the Lord and preparing a way for righteousness within the nation of Israel. And so in this context, Jesus is comparing this woman in the church with the Old Testament woman, Jezebel. Jezebel was an Old Testament queen from Tyre and Sidon, and her father was the king. He was the king of those nations and those regions. And and she married King Ahab, the son of Omri, who was the king of Israel. And, And many might not know this, but Omri and Ahab were powerful warrior kings. Their, their land mass was large. They had some of the largest empires. I want to say empires, but kingdoms for the Jewish nation at the time. And Ahab himself, he was a wicked king. First Kings 16, 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, Jeroboam was the most wicked king up until this point. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And so Ahab is this wicked king. He's evil to the core, and he has an unholy matrimony with this false prophetess, this priestess whose name is Jezebel. And Jezebel worships false gods like Ashtoreth and Molech and, and, and Baal and all these different gods that, that she worships. And she brings them into Israel and they put them in all the high places. They put them under all the sacred trees and they begin to, as the Bible would say, prostitute themselves as a nation to other gods. If you're a student of scripture, you would remember that Elijah fights or he has the showdown on Mount Carmel with 500 of her prophets. 500 of her prophets. And so we can spend a lot of time on Jezebel. And today we're going to spend the most of our time on point number one. And here's point number one, that Jezebel's fourfold goal was manipulation and control of leaders, open idolatry, false belief systems, and silencing prophetic movements. She had four things that she was, that the hallmarks of her, of her life. She was manipulation and control of her husband, open idolatry, false belief systems, and silencing prophetic movements. A Jezebel spirit, hear me now, can only work where there's an Ahab in place. An Ahab is someone who has authority but is fearful of men and refuses to use the authority God gave them. And so he allowed his wife Jezebel to run wild. Notice in Revelations 2, 20, the the Bible says that the church was tolerating Jezebel. So there was a, there's a comparison there that Ahab allowed her to run wild and the church of the New Testament was also allowing this woman who was in the spirit of a Jezebel to run wild in the church. And so the first thing you need to understand is that where there is an Ahab, you can expect a Jezebel. Where there's someone, where there's a man who does not, or a woman, or a pastor, or leader, who does not use their God-given authority, you will come alongside eventually and find someone trying to manipulate and pull the strings of that leader. They tolerated her. 
A Jezebel spirit attempts to find influence with leadership, with people of influence, or with members of a church while trying to, in the end, get to the leadership. That's the end goal, is they want to have control of people. And they do it by lying about being a prophet, uh, claiming to have prophetic insight. They claim to have a spiritual superiority, and they try to place other prophetic voices in a bad light. You got to be careful with this person, careful with that person. I saw this, I noticed that, and I'm just like, have you ever noticed about you? You got a word for everybody, but you can't take care of your sin patterns. You got be mindful of people who want to self-impose on your life. A Jezebel doesn't always start with the pastor. They will likely try to gain influence within the congregation first. And they never leave a church by themselves. They always try to take people with them. They always try to cause a ruckus in the house of God. Whether they do it intentionally or unintentionally, that is the spirit that they operate in. They try to reduce other prophetic voices in the house of God down while elevating themselves. Be mindful of people who self-appoint themselves as your spiritual mentors and as your spiritual leaders. Be mindful of people who take too much glory in being your spiritual mentor and they don't want you really to mature. They just take joy in having people, quote unquote, under them. She's called a fake prophet by Jesus. A primary goal of a Jezebel is to silence true prophetic voices. Consider how Elijah and many of Israel's prophets were guides to God's people were either killed or in hiding during the time of Jezebel. Jezebel did not want God's prophets. She had false prophets. She had hundreds, if not thousands of her false prophets all across Israel building this cultic idolatry and religion. First Kings 18.4. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. She wants to kill prophecy in the church of God because prophecy is the spirit of Christ in the church. She wants to kill prophetic insight. They desire to quench the spirit and to have people just be blinded in the moment. 1 Kings 19.1, Ahab told Jezebel and all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Remember the Mount Carmel showdown. Uh, God responds to Elijah Elijah's response was to tell the people to kill all the 500 prophets of Baal. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Verse 3, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. A hallmark, listen to me, of a Jezebel spirit is they inflict anxiety and stress and worry on leaders. They do it by, by manipulation or false prophecy. But where, where there is anxiety deeply in a leader, I have never encountered a Jezebel spirit and have not in that season wrestled with anxiousness. And so every time I start feeling that, I begin to ask the Lord, who is it? What's going on? Is it that? Because I want to be somebody say, sure. Now in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jezebel pushed God's people to idolatry. 
to the worship of false gods. Now, the thing about today is that maybe we don't intentionally worship false gods, but there are things that we are idolizing that we may not realize it. In, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it was blatant. She was bringing other gods into Israel. In the New Testament, she was doing it through subtle means, and, and she was bringing a form of carnality into the house of God that people engaged in, and they did not recognize what she was doing, but they did it for various reasons. Like then, even now, she pushes the church of God to idolatry. What's the idolatry you might have? Some of you idolize your careers. We idolize. We put, we put ourselves, we idolize self. We put ourselves before God. Some of us idolize our money. We idolize our success. Some of us idolize our children. And we'll abandon the house of God because our children have events to go to. And we idolize different individuals. You might idolize a teacher who's not even in the spirit of God. Some of us, we idolize different things. Be wary of that, of what do you have above God? What can God not really speak into? Because they take place in your life. Be wary of Christians who dabble in zodiac signs and horoscopes and other forms of idolatry. Believers are not a Capricorn. Believers are not any of that stuff. You are a Christian. I'll never get over Christians asking me, what's your sign? The cross? The cross of Jesus Christ is my sign. What are you, a believer? And you try to deduce me down to when, what part of the year that I was born in. Be mindful of people who search out horoscopes. It's called horror for God's sakes. What about just God, the word of God? You see, realize that a horoscope is a, is a form of false prophecy. And the enemy is always trying to get us to look. I'm going to get in trouble today. It's all right. Beware of people who are mixing Christianity with Africa spiritism. Be mindful of people who believe in the manifestation. I just think it and it manifests. That's not, that's not scriptural. Be mindful of people who are dabbling in candles and botanical stores and incense. The only incense that should rise to the Lord from your house is worship and prayer and intercession. You, you cannot dispel a spirit through a candle in your house. That is witchcraft. Be mindful. That is an idolatry. Be mindful of that. Beware of psychics and mediums and all manner of new age and the occult practices and the crystals you have that dispel spirits. That is demonic. That is witchcraft. Now, in the time that this was written in the New Testament, Thyatira was the center of a cult for the, for the, the god Apollo, who was the son of Zeus. And they also have this thing called trade guilds. Think of a trade guild as like a union. And at these unions, they would have these union parties. A lot of these union parties, let's say these guilds, they would have parties that were dedicated to certain gods. And so the blacksmiths of that region might have worshipped Apollo. Or, or the silversmiths in one city, I think it was Ephesus, they worshipped Artemis. And they had different gods that they went after. And what they would do is this, is at these parties... If you were a blacksmith, you would, intent, for all intents and purposes, have to go to these work meetings. And what they would do is they would, they would be drinking, 
having orgies, fornicating, and they would kill animals and, and they would commit them to this God. And the people would eat the animals that were dedicated to idols because they thought it would give them good luck. And what this woman Jezebel was telling them was, you have to keep your job, so it's okay if you do those things. It's all right if you engage in those things because, well, you've got you to work. If we, don't, if we don't go to these functions, how can we ever reach them for the gospel? And she would deceive them, and they would go, and they would begin to drink. They would get drunk. They were married, but they would start fornicating, and the Lord was rebuking the church for putting up with this. Are you with me so far? This is what Jesus meant when he said, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This was in essence what caused the Christians to worship idols. They were going and they were doing the same thing the world was doing. One commentary says it like this. The fornication of which Jezebel was not willing to repent was her adulterous alliance with pagan environments. Some of us are too in love with pagan environments. We're too in love with, with places that don't honor God and God isn't even there. But we go and partake of things and next thing you know, you drank too much, you did too much, and you are living in sin. Jezebel was a false teacher. She wasn't just telling people to do this. She was teaching these ideas within the church that were contrary to Christ and the word of God. And the church was allowing her to spread a false teaching. And Jezebel was being allowed to seduce the church. She was arguing, hear me now, and presenting a reasonable argument, deceiving, misleading, and beguiling the servants of God to follow other gods. And the church wasn't shutting it down. It's important to note that Jezebel is a spirit of seduction. A portion of these teachings that persists in the believers even to today was that you, 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 can't, you can't really separate yourself too much from the world because you have to reach the world. And while there's levels of truth to this, it's a, it's a misappropriation that, that, that we need to still be holy in our lives. There's a sense of righteousness we need to have in the house of God that we don't partake of the things that the world partakes of. Understand that many of these new converts in the church at Thyatira stood to lose their livelihood and their jobs if they did not do this, if they did not engage in these parties. We see this today in some churches and branches of Christianity. They don't want to confront sin and speak on topics that are politically incorrect. They don't want to stay true to biblical orthodoxy. They don't want to stay true to the basic principles of the scripture. And the Bible talks about this. You've heard it if you've been in church that the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine and they will want doctrine that'll, that'll itch their, scratch the itch in their ears. Because we want to look too much like the world sometimes. And so if you feel yourself being seduced into the carnality, recognize that you are under a demonic influence. 
Jezebel is a seducing spirit that comes to churches where pastors are weakened by trouble and trial and they try to usurp authority and they cause division and they lead people into sin. Can I tell you, that is why we guard the pulpit of Citywide Church so dearly because we don't do a lot of guest preachers, not because we can't afford to have them come, but because we can't afford to have bad theology and bad doctrine come into the church where we have to clean up something that somebody said that's not scriptural. So we guard what is sown into the hearts and minds of the congregation. Now in the New Testament, like the Old Testament, bringing them to these places and telling them to compromise their walks was bringing them into sin. This false teaching of friendliness with the world to the point of carnality. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that Israel was adulterating against God with other false gods. Hosea 9.1, rejoice not, O Israel, exult like the peoples, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore forsaking your God. You have loved the prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. Jeremiah 3, 6, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you not seen what she did? Talking about Israel, that faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and every under every green tree and where they played the whore. What he's saying is this, is that when we begin to worship other gods, and we idolize other things and we put our faith, trust, and hope in a horoscope or we put our trust in our spouse. Oh, well, you're, you're, you, you have this sign. You're, I don't even know the signs. I think Capricorn is one of them. And so we would have clicked together really well because you're just like this and you're the one that they say that I need. You are putting your hope in spiritist stuff. You're putting your hope in idolatry. Are you with me so far? Jezebel, in essence, was trying to tell them that what they did in the world was okay because they can reach the world like that. As a church, we have to be careful what we do as a house of God because if you do too many carnal things to get people, you have to do too many carnal things to keep people. Be wary of these, these super mega churches that push the envelope so far and they say, well, we're going to reach people at all costs. I, I believe in reaching people at all costs, but not at compromising the altar of God, not at compromising the holiness and the righteousness of the church. A Jezebel would try to push you to these things. It's a heretical teaching. One of the teachings that believed to be in Thyatira was an early form of what we call Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a simple belief, twofold belief. Number one, that everything material was evil and the spirit was what was holy and righteous. So it did not matter how you sinned because it was all evil anyways. And if you can, you can go ahead and sin as much as you want because what really matters is your spirit is clean. Nothing your body does is, is, is wrong. It's, it's just your spirit is right and that's what matters. The second idea of Gnosticism was that they had a secret knowledge. They, they, were, they just knew so much. I, I cannot tell you the amount of people who would, who would go around the church and, man, if pastor only had this revelation here, the church would just grow so tremendously. If pastor only this, if pastor only that. And, 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 and I remember one person came to me and said, hey, I wish you had the same revelation as this person. And I was like, well, if I did, I would be them. But that every person who went to this person's class fell away from God. Every single, without fail, every single one fell away from God. Because they preached a grace that was so liberal, there was no righteousness. 
You have to do away with these teachings of greasy grace and, and sit and do whatever you want. There's, the Bible calls us to live holy. The second idea, there was the idea of secret knowledge, and we see that in verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burdens. This idea of the deep things of Satan is when people think they have such a revelation that you, you have to come to them to receive it. Be mindful of people who think they have, be wary of them, a greater revelation than Scripture itself gives. You have to live within the confines of the revelation of Scripture. I've had people come to me and tell me this all the time. You need this revelation or you need that revelation. And can I tell you that there is no shortage of manipulation and false teachers in the church today. And you have to be mindful of what sound doctrine is. And Jezebel was wreaking havoc in the church of Thyatira. And what's important to see here is other than this issue with this woman Jezebel, the church was a loving church. They worked hard. Look at verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and all, and that your latter works exceed the first. They were an active church. They were a loving church, a faith-filled church. But there was a carnality entering into the church. There was a worldliness trying to enter in. So what is the solution in the eyes of Jesus to handle a Jezebel spirit? Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation until, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Here's, here's point number two, that a Jezebel spirit is exposed and defeated through godly and authority and prophetic insight. What do you mean, pastor? Go back to verse 18. Notice who this letter and the other six letters are addressed to. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. Those words, to the angel of the church, what does that mean? He says, to the pastor who is over that church. To the leaders that are over that house. That's what that phraseology means. To the angel, to the church. And if there is a leader that God places over a, a group of people, a congregation. And the angel of the church would have been the pastor or the leadership council of that church. And Jesus is talking to them and he's saying to them, he's conveying a message to the pastor. That in the end, the pastor will reveal to the person themselves and or to the church. And Jesus says this, I've given her time to repent but she has not because how many of you know that God is a God of mercy and grace but when we push the limits we come against the very person of Jesus Christ and the scripture says that Jesus said I am going to deal with her and cast her on a sickbed and then it says, I'm going to kill her children. I, I, most people believe that it's not talking about her biological children, but the people who have began to believe in the false teachings that this woman was espousing in the church. He was going to cast her on a sickbed for her false teachings and her idolatry. His solution was this. Here was the solution of Jesus. To give the pastor a prophetic insight 
as to what was taking place in the church. He gave him all the insight by saying this, you tolerate Jezebel. Instantly, the pastor would have gone back about, oh my goodness. Instantly, he would have thought about Old Testament Jezebel. He would have compared and contrasted and recognized the depth of sinfulness that this woman was bringing into the church. You see, God did it the same way in the Old Testament. He put his prophetic voice in the spiritual leader of Israel at the time, and it was Elijah the prophet, and he gave him a twofold solution. Number one, anoint Elisha as your next successor, and number two, anoint Jehu as the next king of Israel after Ahab's death. And Jehu ended up being the one who, in the end, the anointed man of God to govern the nation through a prophetic word, he would be the one to cause the death of Jezebel. In Revelations, the Lord is giving the pastor a prophetic insight to deliver the word to this Jezebel-type spirit. And his method was exposing it through a prophetic insight. No wonder Jezebel wants to kill prophecy in the church. No wonder Jezebel wants to silence the prophetic voices in the house of God. Now, as I say that, I want to caution every prophetic voice to not try to tell people, well, that you're operating in a Jezebel because you're trying to silence this. Some of you are just weird. Prophecy can get real kooky, and it's just like, you have to just be a normal prophet. <laughs> Debbie, teach him. Be, be normal. You don't have to be spooky with it. But can I challenge you? I say this not because I am your pastor, and that's what makes some of these sermons awkward, right? But because there's something about being in the house of God, being under authority of a man of God. And allowing them to speak in and over your life. Don't let just anybody speak into your life. Pastor David, I have so many people. Can I pray for you? Well, sure, but I might not receive everything you say. If you have a 0% track record of things being accurate, I'm, I'm not going to rock with you. You could, you could spot our prophecy all you want. You can give me a real vague prophecy all you want. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Prophecy isn't about, you know, accuracy. It overflows from intimacy with God. And there's too many people who have the gift of prophecy, but not the office of a prophet. And they think they're a prophet, but you're not. Paul says, I wish that you would all prophesy. Beloved, there's a burden on the pastors of the church's heart for the people who are in this house. That we would, number one, stay doctrinally sound as a church in a world that is ever developing into more chaos and more wickedness and more darkness. Another five to ten years and some of the stuff that we preach might be called hate speech. Half of it already is. Hebrews speaks about, about not making it hard for your pastor. I'm going to just give myself a, a hand here. for I'm going to just help myself out real quick. Hebrews 13, 17. This is, for, this, is, this is for me, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account for every single one of y'all. So if I have to go to your house and get in your business for a day, this is why. Because I'm going to have to stand before God for myself and then also for y'all. This is Bible. This is why pastors have to lovingly talk to people. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Don't cause me to groan. Praise the Lord. For that would be of no advantage to you. 
Jesus said this, and he says, and all the churches will know that I am he, this is going back to Revelations, who searches minds and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. He says, I know. He says, I'm the one with eyes of fire. I see through all the foolishness. He sees, and he gives insight prophetically to pastors and to leaders. Jezebel will be defeated by godly authority, stepping up, and prophetic insights. Many churches have fallen apart due to Jezebel's spirits. Many churches have been torn down with division, people trying to control and manipulate. And you might be wondering so far, well, well, all right, if it's about the pastor's prophetic insight that I'm good, I have no part in this. That's hold on, hold your horses. As a member of a church, what is your role? Right? Most of the times that I've dealt with a Jezebel spirit, uh, the only person who has truly seen me wrestle with it and have to go through that spiritual fight is probably my wife. Because what I always, always have done is I'm not going to be the pastor who gets up on the pulpit and says, there's a Jezebel of the church and try to be all super deep and give them too much power. I'm not giving that any attention. I'm going to preach the gospel every single Sunday. I'm not going to preach to issues in the church. I'm going to preach to the church at, 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 a, at large because I'm not putting you on center stage. I'm not putting Satan's word. I can't stand when a pastor preaches about an issue in the church too much because then you're putting Satan on, on, on the platform. What is Jesus doing in the house? What does God's work in the house look like? But what's the role of the church in this? Great question. The good news is Jesus tells us. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay any other burdens. Only, here it is, hold fast what you have until I come. For the one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. He makes it clear. Our job is to hold fast to the truths that Jesus gives us. He wants us to hold on to sound doctrine in the midst. Listen, how should I hold on? White knuckles. Hold on so tightly to this truth. Do not be persuaded by arguments that seem reasonable but are against Scripture. You know someone's wrestling. I don't understand why God wouldn't. You don't have to understand that. I've heard famous preachers. I, I wish God, you know, had it a different way when it comes to sexuality, or I wish God did this when it comes to homosexuality, but then they try to back it up and, and go back into scriptural, but they're, they're on this really shaky foundation. Jesus is hold to what is true. The enemy is at the gate of the heart of every believer, if you don't know that. There are false teachers, Jezebels, Absaloms, false prophets, gossiping spirits all over the internet in podcasts. They go to conferences and they teach these false doctrines and these unbiblical name it, claim it, blab it, grab it truths where all these other new, the new wave of deliverance where everything and their mother is a demon and you don't have to own any of your bad habits because it's definitely a demonic spirit. And these people are filled with wickedness and they're filled with foolishness. And people flock to these things. 
You support them. You give them money. You, you follow them on YouTube. And this is my favorite teacher. And you don't even know them. You don't know their testimony. You don't know who they are. You can't see their private life. All you see is the highlight reel of what they put up. But if you just read your Bible, you would see that 75% of the stuff that they put out there is trash. It's unbiblical. It is not sound doctrine. When you look at scripture systematically, much of what they say might not hold up. I was, I was, I was last night, I was in my bedroom, just getting ready to go to sleep. And I, I, somebody had sent me some stuff, uh, uh, some, some wild things the pastor had said. And I just skipped the video, go to the next video on my YouTube feed. And, and it was a, it was a pastor talking about, he believes in open marriages. I was thinking to myself, like, and he was joking about wishing he had an open marriage on national television. On a mainstream show, this is the condition of the church. If I said their name, half of you would know them. Because this is the condition of the church. There's a wickedness and a carnality coming in. A seduction, a Jezebel type seduction that's bringing false doctrines into the house of God. But here's what Jesus says. I reward those who stay true. Here's point number three. That God will reward. God Rewards the righteous who reject false doctrines and division. Did you know that there's a reward? Some of us try to be real humble with that. You know, I'm not, I just want to be faithful. I'm not doing this for a reward. Can I tell you, I'm doing this for a reward. I am extremely competitive. I am listed. I, I, am, I am here for the reward. When I get to heaven, what, Jesus? Well, you kind of, I'm, I'm going to be like my daughter. You said I would get an allowance this week. You said, I'm going to pull the scriptures out. I'm, a, I'm waiting for my reward, Jesus. He said he's going to give it to you anyways. Might as well expect it. He says, I'm going to reward them. Now for Thyatira, here was the reward, rulership. Their reward was that they would rule with Jesus. That might not be your reward. You might get to be a janitor. Who knows? I'd rather be a custodian in God's house than to be in hell. Listen, I will, if it snows in heaven, I will plow the streets, Jesus. Uh, whatever you need me to do, as long as I'm with you, I don't care. But I want to I encourage you, as we come to the close of this series, have you inspected your heart? Because maybe you're still wrestling with week one or two. Maybe you're wrestling with syncretism. Syncretism is when you try to bring Christianity with other religions and false doctrines and, and you read your horoscope with your daily Bible verse. Syncretism. Worldliness. Some of y'all need to unsubscribe from those emails. God wants to reward those who in this season reject false doctrine and division in the house of God. We need to hang on for dear life to the truths that we have, church. The world is already at the place where they don't want sound doctrine. Many Christians and, and leaders, they don't, they don't want to preach sound doctrine. They, they want to preach what is comfortable to others because they worry about maybe losing a following or losing something. And, and I, want to, I want to encourage you and, and, and let you know this house will preach sound doctrine. As long as I am the pastor of this church, we will preach the word of God in season and out of season. And we'll do it filled with grace and love. And we'll tell people hard truths, but we'll confront them with the scripture, with the word of God. And they will come to know Jesus. They will come to know the living God. 
as a church, he says, hang on to what I have given you. Hold fast to it. The truth won't always feel good, but can I tell you, the truth will always be right. The truth won't always feel good. There's no way around this, right? We have to be true to what we're called in the house of God. Now, maybe you're here and you're wrestling with some of these things. Maybe you're wrestling with some syncretism in your life. Maybe you got some altars at your house to some saints that you need to take them down. Maybe you got some, some emails or things on social media that you need to unsubscribe from because they're, they're into that spiritism. They're into that foolishness. I want to I challenge you that the enemy, you're worshiping something. And you may think you're worshiping God, but you're worshiping something. And see, in this day and age, hear, hear me now, in this day and age, what many people are worshiping that they call Jesus is not Jesus of the Bible. It's a God that they have fashioned who is comfortable with their sins and does not confront them at every interval of their life and say, this is the standard of holiness and righteousness and right standing with me. I want to tell you something, that as we come to a close of this year in just four weeks, five weeks or so, you, you don't have to wrestle with these things anymore because there is freedom at the feet of Jesus. There's freedom. Maybe you're still wrestling with gossip two weeks, three weeks later. Maybe you're still wrestling with secret and hidden offenses. I want to challenge you that the Lord is refining us and preparing us for what is next. And as he refines and prepares, our job is to say, Lord, help me. Now, some of you are saying, man, God, I, this hurts so much. I, I'll take care of this next year. I, when I'm ready, God, I'm, you know, sometimes when God loves us, it's a painful kind of love. It's painful because he loves us so much, he corrects and he disciplines. I've, I've never, as a kid, I never understood when my father would discipline me and I got disciplined very often. Uh, I, I was listening, man, I, I was a professional. I used to hide pillows in my pants as if he wouldn't see them. He's like, what is that? I used to wear three pairs of pants when I was about to get hit because I knew I was going to get hit. He called me down, Felipe. I'm like, hold on, I'm getting dressed. Six pairs of pants coming down. He's like, what is that? I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm really, really cold. You know, it's summer. I'm just, you know, you know I might have a fever, dad, but I never understood this idea. Hear me now. What it means to love someone so much that you discipline them until I had my own children, that you know that it's right and it hurts, especially when they're little and they're saying something crazy back to you. When I first started teaching Emmy about time out, her only response was, but I don't want to be in timeout. But I don't want to be in timeout. She's sitting there in the corner in timeout. I don't want to be in timeout. Am I done yet? You're not going to be done until you. I don't want to be in timeout though. But I hate timeout. It's not fun. It's not supposed to be fun. And I'm trying not to laugh because I'm teaching her something. It's, it's no different though with God. It's not because he hates us. He disciplines us and corrects us. It's because he loves us. And that you, you may have bought into some things in your life that you think are good, but they're not righteous. They might be good, but they're not godly. Maybe you need to give up some things that you are too deep in. Whether it's new age, whether it's spiritual things that you listen. Be mindful of the gifts that people give you that are from different spiritual things. Get rid of that stuff. It's an entryway for the enemy to come in. You know, the Lord will give the house of God and the leadership 
the prophetic insight they need to deal with these spirits. And as we continue to grow as a church, this is why I'm doing this. Here's why. We're growing so much as a house. And that's a really good problem to have. We're growing every single week, but I want to make sure that we set the foundation so that as it grows, it can continue to sustain itself. Amen? So let's deal with the little things now and get them out of our hearts and lives. Come on, stand with me as the prayer team runs up here. Don't wait for anybody else, prayer team. Just like you're answering the altar call yourself, just come. Richard Wan, he was here first, FYI. Thank you, Richard. I want to encourage you. Is there anything in your life that is displeasing? Is there anything? Come on, do me a favor, just bow your heads in this moment. Oh, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Isn't he faithful? Isn't he good? We thank you, Lord. Whether you're online or in-house, there are people who are here to pray for you, to lift you up, and to, and to, to do spiritual warfare with you. Now, I want to do a number of altar calls today, a number of just different variations of this call. Number one, for people who are in need of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know it. You know that you're not walking truly 100% with the Lord. And you need to fix some things. And there are some areas of your life that are not aligned with God. Maybe you've been in church for a little while, but you're walking contrary to God's word. I want to tell you that Jesus said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will obey me. You have to shift out of your mindset of being a Christian because you're scared of hell to being a Christian because you love Jesus. And you recognize his sacrifice in your life. With every head bowed in this moment, if that's you, would you do me a favor and lift your hand as high as you can if you need prayer for salvation? Come on. Thank you. Just lifting your hand. Thank you. If you're online, there are people waiting to pray with you. Now, maybe you're here today and you have been dealing with some of these issues that we've talked about in these four weeks. Maybe it's a secret offense that you have. Maybe you are wrestling with some syncretism. Maybe you are, you've been giving your ears over to, to mediums or psychics or horoscopes or things of that nature. And I want to tell you, that is very, very demonic. And you need to let that stuff go. Maybe you just need to go home and cleanse your house from all these different things. But maybe today you need some prayer along those lines. Maybe you're wrestling with some gossip. Maybe you're wrestling with some familiarity, whatever it is. It is. I want to encourage you in just a moment. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to come up. I say this almost all the time. Uh, when you are in this moment of an altar call, the, the gut response of the enemy is you don't have to go up or to wait for somebody else to go up. But I want to challenge you that your life is your life and nobody will stand before God with you. But as a church, let's deal with these things. I don't care if you were at this altar last week or last night. I want to encourage you that when I pray and say amen, you can come. You can come and receive prayer and breakthrough in your life. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, open our eyes to where the enemy is working, to where there is carnality in our lives, to where we are becoming open to false teachings and false doctrines and things that we would have never received 10 years ago. We're questioning you, God, now. We're questioning your ways, your thoughts on whether it's sexuality or marriage or righteousness or carnality or whatever it is, God. There's so many people in this day and age who don't want sound doctrine. Father, if that's us, convict our hearts. If we're messing around with things of the occult or new age practices, God, I pray that you would give them a boldness to come forward.
to renounce those things. To renounce them and to repent in Jesus' name. Father, would you give them a boldness to not wait, but just to come because you're gonna work in their lives today as your cleaning house. We pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, the church says amen. If that's you, just come now down to the center aisle. We're going to take some time here to pray and worship.